Perry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and along with me is Tim Parrish, and you're back. You were gone and now you're back, and now we're here to talk about all the fun things not happening in the world of hockey. Uh, and we're also going to discuss a retro set of hockey cards. So, Tim, how are you? I am back. Back, back. in Technicolor. Back in Technicolor, right. Unless, well, this unless is... you're not watching and you're just listening. Then I'm back yeah. in full HD audio. Hey, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, though, is because um, you, you, you went on a little bit of a hiatus is um, we did that um, national, not the national, we did that Toronto Expo, the virtual expo. Oh, yeah, we never did our uh, recap or our debriefing about that. Yeah, and I mean, really quick, I'm just going to say from, uh, because from my perspective, because I was there for both days for the whole time, and actually you were there a lot on Friday and then pretty much all of Saturday. I loved it for talking to people. I didn't really make many sales, but I wasn't really there to sell t-shirts. I was just there to talk to people. I mean, I wanted to sell t-shirts obviously, but really I wanted to talk to people and just let them know about the podcast. And it was nice to like start talking to people that I talked to online. And now it's like, I actually got to have like a face-to-face conversation with them. And it was, it was, that was awesome. I, I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the podcast the video podcast that we did, and I'm still waiting to get the video for that. And once I do, I will, I will put that online for everybody to see if they missed it. Yeah, that was fun. And I liked the fact that we were able to be engaging with the listeners. Um, so that was kind of cool because they jump in the chat room and talk. And then, uh, you know, if we, if we opened it up that way, we could have brought them on stage and had a chat one-on-one. So I think that's, uh, that, that goes in my notes for, for future direction of the show, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Because that was definitely fun um, fun to do. But yeah, you're right. Um, I didn't purchase anything during that time frame. Um, I did talk to a few people that did um, and said that it went just like purchasing on eBay. Um, but yeah, I think the overall consensus was... It was a little different, but it was more of a, a social gathering of sorts for people to get together and talk and discuss. And I'll tell you what, on Saturday we had some we had some pretty lively discussions going on in in that room. I mean, at any given time, there were six, seven people in there, all bantering about about various things. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you had like I think we had up to seven people uh, talking, not all at the same time, but conferencing. And then uh, we had other people in the Lots chat. Lots of workers in the background, yeah. yeah people in, in the, the chat. Chat. So. You, and I couldn't see who was, like, lurking, um, which to me was a little unnerving because, like, I remember we said something about, I think it was one of the, um, maybe it was one of the Be a Player cards or in the game cards, and then Dr. Price himself said something in the chat. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He, and, he popped in the chat and he jumped in on the discussion um, – I forget what we were talking about, actually, but uh, he brought up, uh, I, I think he brought up something about, I think it was something about player licensing or something like that, somebody right, made a comment right. about, and he jumped in with like some firsthand knowledge of, you know, hey, I, I could tell you flat out, this is how this works, so, um, so that was kind of cool. 
Yeah, that was that was cool. I mean, I I enjoyed that part. The the problem with this, and you know, I hate to find problems, but so here's the deal: this platform costs money to use, and so the dealers pay money to be there, right. and then if they're not making sales, then it's not worth it for them. Like if people are just coming kind of looking around and then they're either just deciding to talk to one another or, Hey, let's go talk in this booth or, um, Hey, Austin Matthews is here. Let's go listen to him talk. You know what I mean? Like, but they're not really browsing their booth. Then it, 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 it's, it's hard for them to justify spending on a, a table or a booth or whatever you want to call it at the show so it's it's hard like it's it's i i'd like this to happen again and i'll i'll tell you this with um the spikes that we're having in covid-19 cases now in the united states i mean illinois is trending down but a lot of states are trending up canada's trending down but still if if this isn't under control i mean who's to say that there's going to be a november expo there might be another right. virtual expo, or if this is an experiment that didn't, like, maybe it wasn't an overwhelming success, but if there wasn't at least some good takeaways for people, like, we're talking about stuff that, you know, oh, well, this was fun, but us talking about hockey cards for four hours on a Saturday didn't make anybody any sales. It was just a lot of fun, you know what I mean? And that's something that could almost be replicated by, like, a Facebook groups chat type thing. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, that could be something that's done, you know, individually by, you know, a a blogger group or a group of, you know, a group from Twitter or a Facebook group or, you know. Well, us, it so happens we have a Facebook yeah. group, you know. So I mean, so. yeah, so any of that could be done done that way, but yeah, I mean, it is a business and you're trying to make money and you're trying to sell your wares and if that's not really the platform for you and it's not getting your stuff in front. I mean, look, you go to these big card shows to do what? To browse. You like to see all the cool stuff. You like to flip through quarter boxes and dollar boxes and everything else and look at everything splayed out on the tables. Well, you're not getting that here. So yeah. Some of the dealers had their cameras set up in their shops or in their rooms or at their various booth, virtual booths and tables where you could see some of the stuff, but it's not like you could, reach down and pick something up and look at it and flip it over and read the back or flip through a box or do any of that kind of stuff. So that part's obviously taken away. So you're right. It, it was, at least for us, it turned into a big, you know, let's just talk shop kind of thing. Right. And, that, and like I said, that was a blast. I mean, I, I almost actually sold two cards, believe it or not, in the, in the chat. But unfortunately, that never, uh, that never materialized. Although I do have... Potentially an epic trade in the works with uh, one of our new friends from Canada that, nice. that jumped jumped into the the chat with us for a while that afternoon. So, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, uh, I yeah. almost I almost sold some cards as well. I wasn't there to sell cards. I was there to 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 talk with people and to sell T-shirts. But I just saw. So what was happening was when you were in the main expo waiting room or whatever. There was a group chat and a lot of people were using it to spam, you know, hey, come to my table and buy this stuff. For some people who were there who weren't even 
dealers, they were choosing to say, I have this for sale, I have this for sale, I have this for sale. And there was actually an email that went out about that that said, hey, guys, look, it's cool that you're here, and a little bit of that is cool, but if you're doing it too much, then people aren't going to go to the booths, and then that's going to kind of defeat the purpose of this. Um, but, like, one guy just randomly put out, I'm looking for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves rookie cards. And I'm like, I have some extras. They were, like, low, low-end, mid-end, like, um, uh, MVP. I think I had a couple, an MVP rookie of each of them, which were redemptions. So they were a little harder to get. And then I had one other, I think, Taves rookie card. I think it was a marquee rookie. And I worked, you know, I was negotiating with this guy, and then I told him this is how much I want, and, you know, I could just put it in the, you know, top loaders, team bags, PWE for two bucks to Canada, whatever. And then he's like, well, let me think about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. But it was like, he didn't buy, which was a little frustrating. And it was like a lot of work because it's like, oh, somebody said they needed something. And it's like, okay, now I will message you and please message me back. And then they message me back and then I find them and then we talk about it. And it was just like, it was work that led nowhere. And honestly, if there's that immediacy of like, you can have this in your hand right now. I think people buy it because there's that that instant gratification. It's almost like when you go on eBay to buy a card, it's either a card that you really, really want or you're you're knuckling down and finally buying the last few cards that you need to finish a set. And maybe it's not through eBay then, maybe it's through ComC or Beckett or whatever, but you're kind of like, all right, I need five cards to finish this set. I'm going to try to find a dealer who has all of them or I'm going to go to COMC and buy them all. And then I'm going to get them in a couple of weeks and that's fine. Right. But if it's like, oh my God, it I used have to, to be a couple of weeks. Well, okay. Now if, it's like, if you order now, it might get it in October. Oh, great. Uh, so. yeah. Well, I guess, so that's another thing is, is like, it's not even like a normal shipping of like a week. Now it's like, yeah, like you said, a couple of months. Well, and I think that was the big killer for that is you have a combination of, okay, sure. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say most collectors in the U.S. don't go to the Toronto Expo. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a stretch to be able to say that. A lot do, but I don't think that's uh, high on the priority list of the majority of collectors in the United States, simply for the fact that you're going to another country. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of red tape when it comes to that kind of thing. So now you have virtual, which means anybody can log on. You got people from Canada. You got people from the U.S. You even had some international folks in there from other countries uh, browsing around and looking at stuff. The shipping prices are outrageous. Shipping costs have gone through the roof, and especially when it's U.S. shipping to Canada because the U.S. Postal Service has raised their prices so high for over-the-border shipping that it's become practically impossible for normal collectors to just buy one card and have it shipped because you're going to end up paying five, six times what it's worth just in the shipping costs. Now, granted, some shippers could save more money and end up charging more uh, using that as an excuse, but I looked at it myself, and I've been the one that always said, I, it, it never cost me that much to ship to Canada. Well, I looked into it. Right after the expo. And yeah, uh, it's definitely uh, cost prohibitive for, you know, somebody ordering, you know, a couple common cards or something that they found that, you know, they, they had to have, but it wasn't, you know, the big couple hundred dollar crazy card that they were chasing. So, right. 
you know, this isn't this wasn't the type of show that you could flip through a quarter box, find five dollars worth of stuff, and then have it all shipped to you because the shipping cost is going to be fifty bucks. Right. So that that's I think that was the the downfall that a lot of people didn't really. Um, I don't want to say they didn't anticipate, but but yeah, you don't take into that you don't take that into consideration, and that became a deal breaker, I think, for some. But like I said, I I haven't talked to a lot of the dealers that were involved in it, so I don't really know successful wise how how good it was. I know when we got the email afterward, they said they had quite a bit of people registered and in attendance throughout the couple of days in and out. So, I mean, obviously the quote unquote foot traffic was there, right? But, but from a financial standpoint, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I wanted to seem very positive about this because um, I, I want this to work. I wanted this to work. And I'm not saying that it didn't work because I don't have that data. Like, you don't have that data. But, I mean, I could just tell you, like, me personally, I didn't know. I mean, I I, I didn't want to go to a bunch of eBay stores. Like, that's And that's exactly what it was. I mean, mostly. You know, unless you were doing experience. a deal on the side. Right. right. And, like, you know, ComC was there. Okay, Com C's at most big shows, right? What do they do? They have their booth set up. There's usually somebody there with a laptop registering people that aren't already registered. If you are, they let you log into your account, and then they give you, like, something free, right? Or they'll enter you into a drawing for something. Well, they were doing the same thing. So you didn't really miss out on anything there. They were doing the same thing. They were spinning the wheel or rolling the dice or whatever their little deal was. So stuff like that was was pretty much the same. You know, um, the bigger dealers like Dave and Adams, um, you know, folks like that. Well, you order online from them most of the time anyway. So that was really not that big of a difference. You know, Frameworth was there. uh, But I'm curious to see how the how the other the other groups did the the smaller, the smaller dealers. Right. Right. I I wish there was some way to get our hands on that information. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so uh, I mean, it was fun. And like I said, I will um, let you all know when that video podcast, when I finally get the footage for that, then we can, um, I could, I could share that. That's when we did our little rundown of some terrible hockey cards. I don't want to spoil any of that here if somebody hasn't seen it, because like I said, I'm going to, I should be getting that video by today, hopefully. Um, So I'll put it up next week. Um. But anyway, so um, oh. hockey. We're yes. uh, we're um, getting close to picking two hub cities. I really thought Chicago was going to be one of them, and uh, and now that's not happening, and that's too bad because it looks like it's going to be Toronto and Edmonton. Why yeah, we're, always, down, we're down to Toronto, Toronto and Edmonton, um, and I I think that you know the big the big push before was. Oh, it's going to be Vegas and somewhere else. Well, that's pretty much out the window now. I think the reason why you got the two Canadian locations is because simply the COVID cases are decreasing north of the border. And they're not decreasing south of the border. So, but, whatever. I mean... If we can see some hockey, great. 
If it actually gets to that point, great. I'm not sure still that it is even going to get that way because with all of the um, practice facilities and everything opening up, um, you know, the NHL announced that uh, obviously cases have gone up of players and staff being tested. But again, that's partially because everyone is now being tested. So more tests, more people, obviously you're going to have more positives. You know, it's simple math. Um, but in many, I think in all of those cases, everybody's been either self-quarantined or put on uh, quarantine and separated from the group. And a lot of them tested positive but had zero symptoms, um, which I think if you could, if you tested every single person like in the U.S. and Canada, I'm going to guess you would have a lot more positives than, than not. It's just for the simple fact that people have been exposed and whether you show that you have symptoms or not, I mean, everybody carries it differently. It's just like the flu. Some people get really sick. Some people don't get sick at all. Some people have the flu, but it's more like a cold, you know, everybody handles it differently. Right. But the people who don't handle it well, really don't handle it well I yeah mean, and that's the thing. really if, sick sure and if and that's why they say you know the infants and the elderly that have you know um that already have immune systems that 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 can't handle that type of stuff are, are obviously more subject to to issues um and you know we don't have infants and elderly playing hockey, but, you know, well, well maybe and, we do. Not in the NHL, at least, I guess. Yager went back to Europe, so the elderly are all gone. So, so he's um, safe. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, look at the, I look at this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? You, you had to expect that. You're bringing people together, you're putting them around each other, and you're testing more the math shows you that you're going to have more positives, but so far they've been handling it and you know, it is what it is, but you know, like with other sports, it's going to get down to the point where, you know, do we do this or do we don't do it? Are we going to jump in? Are we going to be that quick to pull the plug? If something goes haywire, you know, how's, how's that going to work? I mean, look, the NFL already canceled the hall of fame game and they've canceled two preseason games now. So, and that's, you know, we're talking months. Um, months away, yeah. So, you know, basketball has started getting the process together. They've got the courts built down in down in Florida now to, to start putting stuff back out. But just like they have uh, with some of the other sports, they've said, you know, if anybody doesn't want to play, it's, you're well within your right. You don't have to. So... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I I still I still find it hard to believe that that sports are going to happen just because especially like okay, you look at Florida. Okay, so now we're talking about the uh, the uh, NBA, right? So uh, Florida has not been doing a good job of handling its case of coronaviruses. The state reopened too early. People aren't practicing social distancing. They had um, you know, people like um, 
out on the beaches and stuff, and now they're getting really sick. I mean, like, Florida, Texas, and California are all, like, having 5,000 new cases a day. Maybe not every day, and maybe some days more and some days less. And I know that the players are going to be insulated from that. But, I mean, it's like, you know, unless you put everybody... Uh, you put everybody in the same bubble, put them in a, like, biodome. You ever see the movie Biodome, or do you remember the movie Biodome? Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, and then you remember the ep- the uh, Simpsons, the movie, where they put a big dome around Springfield because it was so, um, so uh, uh, polluted, right? So um, you need something like that, where people can't get in or get out for 14 days, and you don't have anybody else coming in, right? But the problem is, is that you're going to have people... You know, like, it's even like this. Like, if I invite four friends over, I trust those friends, but maybe they saw other friends, and maybe those friends interacted with somebody who was sick, not wearing a mask, doing whatever. And and so that's the thing. I mean, this thing is just spreading so quickly. So it's it's just, it's nuts. Um, and and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic because I, I do want to watch hockey, but at the same time, I'm really okay with everything going on on hold until there's a vaccine. And on top of that, like now getting into the, the draft lottery, so L.A. gets the second overall pick, Detroit gets the fourth overall pick, a playing team that loses will get the first, can get the first overall pick. They each have a 12.5% chance of getting that first overall pick. Um, well, I'm sorry. Is it a playing team that loses or it's, wins? It's basically one of the eight losing qualifying round teams. So technically, we're not in the playoffs yet. Technically, we still have that qualifying round. So well, the eight teams that lose that opening qualifying round, that best of five series, each one of those eight are going to have a chance to get that well, number on. one pick. So 12 teams are already in the playoffs. 12 teams are already qualified. And you have eight, isn't it 12 and eight? Or is it? Uh, Eight teams are already qualified. The top four in each, the top four in the West, top four in the East. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Sorry. Okay. I got you. And everybody else falls in behind and all of them have to play in those, those play-in games or those qualifying games. So we have, we have eight teams that have a bye basically. They're in. So the other. Right. So the other 16 teams have to play each other and the winners move into the playoffs. The losers get a shot at that number one pick. So if I'm one of those teams, all right, listen, I want to win a Stanley Cup. I want to see my team win a Stanley Cup. I know the Chicago Blackhawks are not going to win a Stanley Cup this year. I, 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 I'm not a gambler, but I would bet money on it. But what's your incentive for winning if you're a if you're a bad team, like if you're if you're a if you're a, a team that's only in the playoffs or the play in because of these new rules, but otherwise you wouldn't be involved in this at all. See, there's no money in this as far as there's TV revenue. Yes. And that's what the NHL wants. They want the TV revenue that they're going to get from this. There's no gate. There's there's no. Hey, we have a round of playoffs. Let's sell playoff tickets for 50 percent more than what we normally sell tickets for. There's none of that. So, like, I understand, like, if a team makes it to the next round, that's another potential two home games that you can make money having people come to the game. 
There's no money in that. It's just money in the television revenue. I don't know how the TV revenue was split up. Is it just split up among the winning teams? Like the, the two teams that are in the finals, do they get the, the TV revenue for that? Nobody else does. Do all teams get an even amount of TV revenue because there's no gate receipts? I don't know. So what I'm saying is, is if my team sucks, you know what? I'm putting in some black aces. I'm going to say, you know what, guys? This is this is uh, not treat it like an exhibition, but maybe treat it like an exhibition. Because, damn, I'd rather have the first overall pick or even a third overall pick than play, you know, do a play, win a play-in series so that I could get swept swept in the first round of the playoffs. So you're trying to tell me that the Coyotes, the Flames, the Hurricanes, the Blackhawks, the Blue Jackets, the Oilers, Panthers, Wild, Canadians, Islanders, Rangers, Predators, Penguins, Leafs, Canucks, and Jets are all going to tank for Lafreniere? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Uh, and I'm going to ask you, who is that Penguins goalie that they brought up at the end of the uh... – 83-84 season to, like, finish out their season so that they could guarantee the first overall pick? Roberto Romano. Was it Roberto Romano? I think he was put in at the end of the year. Yeah. I but mean, you're talking about a completely different time frame, you know, of... No, come on. Everybody wants to win the Stanley Cup. I don't buy into the everybody's going to tank Nordiques on Did the Quebec Nordiques even try in 1990? Did they even try... Okay, again, we're talking about a different time frame here. Look, look at look at what's at stake here. You have teams that wouldn't normally have a chance in hell with potential possibility. The Blackhawks are in the play are are in a playoff position. You know, Montreal is in a playoff position. If we were actually playing real playoffs, they would have been nowhere to be found. It's basically they've been injected with new life. You're telling me. Hey, you got a best of five series. You got to win three games. And if you win three games, you're in. You're essentially saying that whole time frame at the end of the year, the last you know month, month and a half of the season, that push for the playoffs, that you would have been mathematically eliminated early on, has now been erased, and now you've got a shot to win hardware again? No way. I don't buy it. Does it cross somebody's mind? Maybe. And is it nice to talk about and think that it's kind of funny that somebody would do that? Sure. I don't think anybody would do that. Well, there's injecting new life and there's lowering the bar. Am I naive, though? Is that, am, I, am I being deliberately naive when it comes to this? Do you think one of those teams or multiple versions of those teams would actually just say, you know what, screw it? Let's, I- let's, let, let's take our... One in six hundred thousand chance of winning the Stanley Cup, and sacrifice that for a one in eight chance of of getting the top pick in the draft. I don't know. I, I, I mean, sure. Is it nice to have the number one pick? Yeah, great. You could. I mean, that's the number one pick this year is one of those franchise defining players, right? I mean everything that everything that that we've seen from him thus far in his career, he seems to be one of those franchise defining players. So, could this make or break a team in the future? Of course, absolutely. 
But so could winning a cup. So, what do you do? I don't know. I don't see. I don't see those bottom. You're a G- so you're a GM, right? How do you pass that information down to your team? Be like, so guys, I know you're playing for the Stanley Cup here, but uh, I really want this guy that's going to be uh, that's 18 years old and bring on my team. And you know, half of you aren't going to be here next year. The other half probably won't be here the year after because your contracts are all up. But really, tank. Because this might be your last shot at getting a Stanley Cup. No, and no player wants to tank a game. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, I think about, like, uh, 2013 season, right? And we had the the, the lockout at the beginning of the season. And then I remember that the Blackhawks clinched first place overall. And they had a game to go. But they they, they clinched the President's Trophy. So what they did for their very last game... They called up all these guys from Rockford. They gave Kane and Taves the day off so they could rest for the playoffs. They called up all these kids from Rockford. I remember that game because uh, that was when Carter Hutton finally got his first to- uh, first start. Otherwise, he had just been on the bench every now and then for the Blackhawks. So that was his first game. It was against the Blues. They had about 10 guys in the lineup from Rockford. And they lost the game like 3-1 to one or something. And there, you know, Joel Quenville's incentive basically was rest our star players for the first round of the playoffs and give the kids uh, a shot at NHL opportunity, you know, and I thought it was a great idea, you know what I mean? Like, because, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be sent back down to the minors or sent home after this game, and, and that was that, and some were kept on as black aces, but I didn't say oh the Blackhawks were tanking the game and that sucks they should try to win this next game they they literally had nothing to prove because they had already won the president's trophy with the game at hand so I was just like all right this is cool they're giving a bunch of guys who've never played in the NHL an opportunity and it was a little bit of a not not a shit show maybe a little bit of a, a fire drill um I mean I, I thought it was fine I thought it was good I actually didn't have the chance to watch the whole game but I, but see, I remember I get, that. I get that example. Yeah. But that's a bad example. Why? Because you're talking about a regular season game for a team that's already made the playoffs because they already got the president's trophy and this game is meaningless for them. We're not talking about a meaningless game. We're talking about the potential to actually win play the, Stanley, for the Cup. Stanley Cup. I know, so, but then you gotta so you really gotta play you gotta play five rounds if you're a bad team. You gotta do the play in. So if you're Chicago, you get past Edmonton. Great. Now what? Now you have to get past the top seed in your division. If you're the eighth seed or the seventh seed, you got to get past the second seed. You see what I mean? It's like hey, it's the just, Kings won the cup as a sixth seed. So this is true. I mean, anything's possible, especially in, especially in the modern NHL. Anything's possible. You know, I people saw- said. People said we won't see repeat Stanley Cup winners. Well, we did. You know, people said, you know, there there can't be a, a dynasty type team in this modern salary cap era. Well, there was. You know, every every time somebody says you can't do this or there's never going to be that, somebody comes out and does it. You know, so yeah, anything's possible. And I know I'm trying to be the rose-colored glasses guy, which is really weird for me, but you know. I I just think 
I think the talk about somebody actually tanking. Uh, I don't. I, I I don't even want to go down that path. No, I don't. I don't either. I, I don't want to see that happen. Could I see it happen? Sure. But of those teams that I mentioned in that in that whole group that I ran down there real quick, there's not a single team in that group that I I would think, yeah, I could see it. Because I don't. I mean, honestly, you know, go out there. You you put out you put out the best product you can put out, and you play your best game, and you try to get there. And if you don't get there, what's your consolation? Your consolation is, oh, I might get the first round pick. That's you. You either win, or you you almost win. It's one or the other. I don't think there's a real loss here. Hmm. Well, anyways, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's. That's definitely interesting. It does have people talking a little bit more about hockey because there's so much. Uh, oh, so many in hockey it. purists hate this. They absolutely hate this. But what's a hockey? What's hockey purity? I mean, really? I mean, because the thing is, is that the league changes the rules. So hockey purists hate the shootout. Yeah, probably. But does anybody under twenty hate the shootout? Probably not. Right? I mean, when I was fourteen and I got into hockey. There were no shootouts. There was a five-minute um, overtime. But prior to that, uh, five-minute um, sudden-death overtime. But prior to that, the NHL used to play a 10-minute non-sudden-death overtime. I mean, there were times when games just ended in ties. I mean, it, like, the rules change to reflect, you know, the era. I mean, there was a time when hockey wasn't five-on-five five and a goalie. It was six-on-six six plus a goalie. Nobody remembers the rover. Let's bring back the rover, right? Let's be pure hockey. Let's get rid of let's get rid of helmets and masks. Let's bring back the rover. Let's give a goalie a ten foot crease like they had in like the the teens. You know, I mean, there's so much things get rid of that the trapezoid. Yeah, the trapezoid should go. I don't. I didn't mind. I didn't mind goalies coming out to play the puck. And if you had one that was really talented, like Martin Broder, well, you know, that's your incentive for being really talented. You know, it, it sucks when. They make a rule to stifle talent. Now, some of the rules I understood. I understood that, like, if you had a four-on-four power play, um, or no, let me, wait, let me backtrack that. When you had offsetting minors, mm-hmm. and it used to be, now now they do it again, where if they're offsetting minors, it's a four-on-four, right? Uh, yeah. Right. If they're offsetting well, minors, yeah. Yeah, but you remember in the 80s and 90s, if it was an offsetting minors, it wasn't a four-on-four. It was still five-on-five. And that was Was because, yes, and that was because no team, if it was four-on-four, when you had Gretzky, Coffey, Messier, and Curry all out on the ice for a four-on-four against the other team, they would they would score like to them being four on four and having those four guys out there was like them having a, a man advantage even though it was four on four so that was so then they said okay you know what let's let's um let's just make the setting if they're offsetting minors no no you know it's still five on five so it's two minutes and a whistle for those players to get out of the box I mean back in the fifties Maurice Richard when the Montreal Canadiens had a two minute um 
power play used to be able to score as many as you could in that two minutes. It wasn't once they scored um, that that penalty went off the clock and the player skated back to the you know back to their bench feeling shame. They used to be able to score two or three goals, and they were like, "Well, this is no fair because Montreal is such a good team that they could score many goals in that on that two minute man advantage, right?" So the rules change over time to reflect, you know, to re- reflect what's good for the game. So I think it's kind of fun. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting when you look at 94, 95 and you go, yeah, it was only 48 games and teams only played other teams in their conference, right? So the Blackhawks didn't get to see the Penguins, but you know what? It is what it is. You, you, you adapt, um, you attack, you know, like they say, roll with the punches, right? But then also like adapt to the way things are in society or the way things are in, um, you know, to, to make the game better. So I, I don't know anybody who's like, oh, you know, they should bring it back where a team can score as many as they want in, two minute, in a two-minute power play, right? I wouldn't mind that. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> but I love three-on-three overtime. Yeah, I don't want that to go away. No, I, I do love- too. I didn't think I would in the very beginning, but it's pretty exciting. It's fun. Three on All that open ice is, is great to watch. The open ice and the stretch passes, I love it. I love it. I think it's it's so much fun. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd want a 60-minute game. Like I like the All-Star game when it's like that, too. But that's an All-Star game, and that's fine. You really get to see the players use their skills. I mean, for you know, a while— The worst while, part about the breakaway, if you miss, it's a breakaway the other direction. Right. On all those all, all those overtime stretch, stretch pass plays. Right. But it's exciting. It I is mean, exciting. You know, and it's, it's just, end. the thing is, is that like with five on five hockey, could because players got bigger, it's like the room got more crowded all of a sudden, right? Because now you have guys six four, six five. I mean, I know there've always been tall hockey players, but I mean, I remember when like, Lemieux really stood out because he was just so damn tall. I mean, 6'4". And I'm not saying that there's that every player is 6'4", but I'm just saying it seems less common, or excuse me, it's it's more common now for the players to be to be tall. I mean, every now and then you get like a 5'9". I know they have Patrick Kane listed at like 5'10 or 5'11". I, I don't know if he's really that tall. He looks so small out there. But, you know, you get my point. Yeah. So... Anyway, so yeah, the purists hate what's happening, but I think people are talking about it because it's so different, and that's okay too. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a it is a talking point because because of the fact that it's such a different thing, and it's going to be the first time we've ever seen anything like it. So anyway, moving on, you wanted to talk about 96-97 Upper Deck Black Diamond, the 1996-97 Upper Deck Black Diamond hockey set. Why yeah. did you pick that well, set? Well, Such I was a trying random to, set. It, it's kind of a random set, but but not not really in the grand scheme of things. I was trying to think of something that we hadn't talked about before or haven't haven't delved into and we've mentioned Black Diamond many times. Uh, but haven't really discussed it. So I thought, why not go back to where it started with the initial uh, Black Diamond set that Upper Deck put out? Well, okay, so uh, just to give you the facts about uh, 96-97 Black Diamond, um, it was a hobby-only set, so it wasn't sold at retail. 
consisting of 180 cards. A six-card pack was $3.49. So you had uh, single diamond, double diamond, and triple diamond cards. So cards one through 90 considered the base set. Those are the single diamond. Uh, the double diamond were 91 through 150. Now, those were one in every four packs. And then the triple diamond were 151 through 180. And those were one in every 30 packs. So I'm assuming boxes had to be about 30 packs. So it was probably one per box. Does that sound about right? Yeah, there's 30 packs. And you said six cards in a pack. So, um, yeah. The... Um, um, Wow, my brain just went blank. Um, and notable sorry. rookie cards. Yeah, it was one per box. Triple diamonds are one per box. Yeah, so notable rookie cards. You had Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Patrick Laleem, Roman Turek, just off the top of my head. Now, Thornton and uh, Marlowe and Laleem, uh, I believe Laleem was one of the short prints as well, but Marlowe and um, Thornton. Thornton was number um, card number 160, so he's definitely in that last... Um, uh, one per box category. So that could probably be considered his most valuable rookie card. Oh, it's definitely uh, the toughest and most valuable. If you actually look at the prices for those cards, I mean, they're, they're up there. I mean, that, that was a hard, that was a hard pull. The Marlowe card too. Um, you don't see them that often in the wild, just random. I mean, th those aren't, those aren't the rookie cards that, just got thrown into quarter boxes, you know, and nobody really paid attention to them. These are the ones that people stashed away. So what's funny about this set is that you said, hey, let's talk about Black Diamond hockey. This is where, you know, where Black Diamond all started. And I said, okay, cool. Then I scoured my collection and I realized that I didn't have one single Black Diamond card to my name. Not even in my my uh, Chelios, Ronick, and Belfour player collections. I don't have, I don't believe I have the promo I might, and just, it might be, like, misplaced with, you know, other promo cards that are misplaced or something, but I don't, I don't even have the base set. Like, I said, oh, yeah, let's talk about that, and then I realized I have 97, 98, and I have 98, 99. I don't have 96, 97, so this is something I'm going to have to track down. It's like the more we do these podcasts again, the more stuff I realize, huh, I thought I had that, and I don't. I think with, like, late 90s mid to late 90s there was just so much stuff out there and at that point i was um really i mean i want to say maybe i bought a box of 97 98 score on clearance but then i didn't really buy packs until 0506 parkhurst and so i think anything like anything like pacific or anything where like gretzky is like a ranger those are like the years that i really didn't collect so it's kind of fun because now I'm looking at this and I'm like, huh, here's something I don't know much about. Well, and it, again, like like you said, it, this was the first time that Upper Deck came out with Black Diamond as a set. Um, and the cards were interesting because they featured that, what they called the Light FX printing technology, mm -hmm. which we talk about all the time because... One of the thing, the recurring themes of Black Diamond is you try to scan one of these cards and they look awful because they're hard to scan. Well, that's mm -hmm. because of that that lighting that lighting technology on the print. They use that like foily silver shimmer kind of effect to where if you turn the card and the light hits it a certain way, you know, 
one way it looks really horrible, another way it looks amazing because the, the card pops with the background. And there wasn't anything really that was out there at that point that looked like this. Um, so this was the first time that they introduced that. And also the tiering. We didn't really see that. No, that's the big prior one. Prior to this. So the fact that Upper Deck decided we're going to do three different types of inserts here um, as part of the release. And we're going to have the single diamonds that are going to be the most common. And then we're going to have double diamonds. And then we're going to have triple diamonds. And those are going to be the toughest pulls at a lower, you know, much lower print run. And why not throw in a parallel too? So they came out with the gold triple diamond as well. Um, and there's only 50 of those. And they're pretty tough pulls. Um, they're not serial numbered. So I guess if you don't have any of these, you probably don't have any of the golds um, either. But there's 50 of each gold triple diamond. And like I said, they're not serial numbered, but uh, Upper Deck announced that they were back when they used to announce things like that. Um, there were only 50 of each one. So th that's a much, much tougher, uh, tougher card. So um, was this the, the first set to have short printed base cards? I mean, I know they're, they're not base cards, but they kind of are because they're part of the set short sure. prints that are part of the set. I believe this is the first hockey yeah, set I, to have that. I can't think of one prior to this. And I was trying to go through and, and just see, um, everything up to that point. I mean, obviously you didn't really have that in the eighties. Um, unless you count like back when tops did the East and West versions, but I don't know that that's necessarily short printed per se. It's just regionally printed. Right. So yeah, it might be harder to find if you live in New Jersey to find the West cards, just like it'd be hard to find, you know, the East cards in California. Right. Simply because that's how they were printed. But so I don't know if that necessarily counts, but if you look at the tops and Opeachy back and forth up until 89-90, there wasn't anything really in there. And from 90 until this, this set, I mean, there were some serial numbered ones, I mean, I but I don't know if the, those are base. No, and you had, you had cards that were short printed like, I remember, like, the upper deck had, like, that SP1 or whatever. It said Glasnost on ice, and it was, like, Gretzky and, like, some Russian players, like, posed on a, a on a card. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, so you did have, like, short printed cards or special printed cards, which is where the whole SP came from, where upper deck had sets like SP and SPX and SP Authentic that came from the SP cards that they would put in their their sets and those would be like one per box. They weren't impossible to find, but they'd be like one, you'd maybe get one per box and you'd be like, all right, awesome. I got this card. Right. So they weren't unobtainable, but it's just like, you know, so if you bought 10 boxes of them, you might get that, that card 10 times. But now with the set, like this black diamond set, you know, you're looking at, you know, uh, 30 cards that are one per box. So you would have to buy 30 boxes you know, and, and hope to not get doubles. So this, this set created a monster, that monster that we have now, where it's like, yeah, these cards are harder to find, but they're still part of the main set, whether you want to consider them 
part of that set or not is up to you as a seller, as a collector, as, as whatever. But, um, I, so this, this was the beginning of the end then because <laughs> I loved, I loved <laughs> being able to buy a couple of boxes and make a set. And yeah, you know what? The collation was shitty on some cards. I mean, I mean, I was even, I even stumbled across an old, um, message board thread from about 2017 on the Beckett blog where this guy or Beckett blog, sorry, um, the Beckett, um, message boards and somebody is saying hey i just opened four boxes of 9091 score hockey u.s edition and i don't have a complete set and he's like i have 10 or 11 cards of these guys and i don't have any cards of these guys and how can you buy four boxes 36 packs 15 cards per pack and not have one complete set well that they just shuffled the deck really good back then now with tops it was a little easier if you had like a set that was like 198 cards or 132 cards or 66 cards or whatever and you bought a box you were you were pretty much guaranteeing yourself a set but something like this i mean you might not even get a full base set especially if you count in the parallels and then, yeah. You're well, you definitely get... won't, especially the triple diamonds. because No, no, I'm just talking about the one, one through 90. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, but that's understandable. You have five-card packs, and you're going to have some doubles, and you're going to have some parallels, and you're going to have some short prints. But, I mean, I don't like the fact that it takes me eight boxes, nine boxes of Upper Deck Series 1 to get to, like, 50 Young Guns knowing that they're not even going to be all different and knowing that if I get one double, that pretty much that whole box is going to have the same six guys that, that my last box yeah. had. If I see the How same many times has that happened? Oh my God. I, I, dude, I ended up with like, I remember Oh six, Oh seven. I had like three Paul Stastny young gun rookie cards. And I was just like, well, not a bad card to have, but like I'd open a pack. I'd be like, ah, oh, dang it. It's Paul Stastny. And now I'm going to have to, you know, I know that the next five young guns that I pull from this box are going to be duplicates of the ones that I pulled from the box that I bought a week ago. Yeah. Well, and I never, like back at the time of this, so like you mentioned in the beginning, these were hobby only, the 96, 97 Black Diamond. So I didn't buy these at the time. I've had, I've picked up some here and there, some singles here and there. I have a small, very small stack um, that must have been in a collect one of the collections I've bought over the years, um, and that's what I kind of went to to shuffle through and and take a look at some of these. But you know, you have that collation of one through ninety being the most common. So you build a base set of one through ninety, and then your double diamonds of ninety one through one fifty are. How many per box? Five, six per box, maybe. So you're trying to pull out, you know, 60 cards that are falling five or six per box. You're going to need 10 boxes, and that's assuming no doubles. Not to mention, if you're going to put the rest of them with the triple diamonds, you're not going to get them, and you're going to need some help. So now couple this with the fact that I bet a lot of collectors were in the same boat. And unless you were a dealer and had a ton of this stuff back at that time, a lot of the guys that are collecting nowadays probably don't see this stuff very often. 
In fact, I went searching when we decided to talk about this and tried to see if there was any unopened product out there. I found three sellers out there on eBay that were selling unopened boxes of this. All of them were in the $350 to $400 range for a box. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's such there's been such a resurgence of interest in insert cards from the mid-90s that those run-for-the-cup inserts that were included in this are extremely hot items. So, full disclosure, I don't own any of these, so I'm not trying to push the needle. I'm not telling you go out and buy these to try to push the product and make the d- numbers go up. I'm not I'm not that guy. Uh, but I'm just telling you, these are those are hot ticket items. Those were the insert cards, and I don't know if you ever saw them, but they were run for the cut, they, they were die cut, and they were kind of rounded on the side, um, and they were like gold foil, mm. and it had the player picture, but the player picture was an insert, and it was like cellophane, so it was see-through, and it was like the player's profile picture. And next to it, where it said run for the cup real big, it had a picture of like the Stanley Cup, and it was all kind of foiled on the side. But they were numbered. They were out of 100. And these were randomly inserted. You could go three, four boxes and not pull one. So, I mean, they, they were a tough find. And I was trying to look at some completed sales on these. And it's not uncommon to see base players go for 80 to 90 bucks. For and run so, for the cup. Yeah, and some of the stars go for a lot higher than that. Wow. You know, we're, we're talking a couple hundred dollars. And here's the interesting thing. So the run for the cups, they came back. They, you know, Upper Deck brought them back in the other subsequent Black Diamonds. They were in the 07, 08 set. They were in the 08, 09 set. They were in the, the 2016, 17 set. Um, and they were also out of 100. Same general design. Um, just like the same collation. Black Diamond was the same forever. 1 through 90, 91 to 150, 151 to 180. It was like... That's what they kind of kept that similar pattern all the way through. But it's funny you started this off by saying these were what? What'd you say? Three dollars and three fifty a pack. They were three okay, so three forty nine, three fifty a pack for six cards. Black Diamond today is also a pack of six cards, but they're two hundred dollars. So <laughs> that does that tell you how far we've how far we've come? Where a four dollar pack of six cards is now Two hundred dollars for six cards. Right. Granted, of course, they're all supposed to be somewhat of hits, but still, it's a six-card pack slash box, and most retailers are selling them for hundred ninety to two hundred dollars for for the six cards. But uh, another reason why I want to talk about the set too is mm-hmm. from a nostalgia standpoint, uh, the nineteen twenty upper deck black diamond set brought back this design. Hmm the 96 97 design as a tribute so you'll see um inserts um in this year's black diamond that look a lot like these 96 97 cars but with more modern players um but the same same general design pattern um as the as the old stuff here so i i still can't believe you don't have any of these no, I, I, I don't. Like I said, like a lot of times, so a lot of my collection from the, we'll just say from 96 to 
05, 90, we'll say like 96, 97 to maybe 04, 05. A lot of it is just what I would find at shows. Like somebody has this 2001 set, I'd be like, ah, cool, I'll buy it, right? 10 bucks, here you go. Oh, uh, you know, $5 a set? Sure, here you go. Okay, uh, you have these four sets I need? Yeah, I'll buy them. You know what I mean? Like, that's just it. Like, I never, like, said, you know what I need to do? I need to get every Black Diamond set um, from 96 and on. And that, like, never crossed my mind. Now, I did that with the Opeachy sets, where I remember when I started collecting again, um, I'd be like, you know what? I need to get 80... 384, 82, 83. Like, I, I remember, like, just systematically going and buying all the OPG sets and then working my way backwards. And now I, I'm working my way on 71, 72 OPG and then moving back. You know, just keep, I'll just keep moving back. Um, but um, with, with like 90 sets, one, because there's so many of them. So a lot of times it was just like what, oppor- what opportunity came along. You know, I go sure. to somebody's table. They have a set for 10 bucks. I buy it or 20 bucks. And I say, hmm, okay, well, these were $3.49 a pack. And it's kind of a hard set to put together. Okay, yeah, I'll pay 20 bucks for it, right? Or like even, um, what was like another one? Like, um, I mean, I remember one dealer that I would see at the show in Chicago. He would have tons of hockey. And he would just say like, hey, man, I bought all these sets. And it'd be like, oh, cool. It's a bunch of stuff from... 97 to 2005 that I don't have. So I would just, I would just buy them. Um, but yeah, I never really thought like, Hey, I need to track these down. In fact, you know, what's funny is that part of the reason why I started puck junk is because I'd look and I'd say, Oh, wow, this set's only $5. Is it any good? And the only reason, the only thing I could find about it would be people like, like a checklist just saying it had 180 cards but nobody's saying, yeah, this set's really cool because of X, Y, and Z, or this set is dumb because of uh, A, B, and C. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I started my site was to just start writing reviews of these cards, you know, if if they're any good or not. I mean, I know one uh, one listener told me, he said he found my um, rundown of every 9091 set, and he's just like, he actually used that as his like guide to start recollecting. Like, okay, which 9091 set should I buy? Because there's so many, you know, there's only seven of them. But, you know, if you don't know the pros and cons of score versus upper deck versus pro set, then you're just kind of buying it if it's cheap enough or if it just kind of strikes your fancy. So, yeah, right. I was surprised, too, that I didn't have this set. Well, and, you know, tracking it down now or even trying to build it now is going to be some kind of feat, especially when you're starting from scratch. I mean, you either go out there and drop 350 bucks to 400 bucks for a box and start from there. Hopefully pull yourself uh, most of a base set and some higher numbers. But it's it, it's going to be a feat to put together. I can tell you, um, just we're talking current, um, yesterday, a Peter Forsberg card. So Forsberg is number 117, so it's short print. Uh, it's a triple diamond card. So one per box and we're talking Peter Forsberg, right? So he's in an avalanche Jersey, um, not a rookie card, not a, you know, it, he, it is who he is, but 12 bucks. It's a base card from 1996 sold yesterday for $12. Well, it's a double diamond. It, it's triple actually. It's triple diamond. Oh, so like okay. I said, it's, it's a one per box. So that gives you an idea of Forsberg is going to go for, 
for 12 bucks. Um, newly Hall of Fame, new Hall of Fame member, Jerome McGinley, five bucks. So, you know, you can look to spend anywhere from 250 up to $15, depending on the star power of the player, for some of these triple diamond cards. So, I mean, if you're putting a, a full set together, good luck. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to put you out a couple bucks. But, you know, if you can, pull, if you can get that Marlowe or that Thornton card, I mean, the Patrick Marlowe ungraded is 20 to 30 bucks all day long. I don't know if you've ever seen that card, but it's one of, it's one of my favorite pictures uh, where he's sitting there on a bench. I think he's tying his skate or something, and somebody's taking the picture of him, and he, put, he has his hand up like in front of the camera. So it block it blocks out half of his face. So if you haven't seen the card, and we'll we'll post one up on the uh, on the site since we're talking about it here. But he holds his hand up to kind of like block the camera uh, on that card. So that's always a cool card. And the Joe Thornton card um, features him in his uh, Team Canada um, jersey, kind of skating to the side. Um, but the Thornton cards. That's that's a different story entirely. Um, you know, 100, 150 to 200 bucks, depending on the condition of the card. And that's raw. Um, and again, because these are using that light FX technology, finding one in top quality condition is going to be tough because these things have a tendency on some of the edges to chip because of the printing technology they use. So... Again, it's a tough set to go after and a tough set to build. Yeah, well, I might have to start uh, start somewhere. Maybe I'll start with the base set and then just pick away at it. I mean, it's on my radar now, so I'll have to uh, have to see if I can find um, you know f- start start finding them. I mean, it's it, it's a nice looking set. I just I think, like I said, because there's so much stuff from from that era, I'm just uh, it was just a little overwhelming. I mean, that's probably sure. part of the reason why I slowed down with collecting. I mean, I had, you know, there were numerous reasons. Um, in fact, I mean, by like say 1999, hockey cards were pretty far from my mind. I wasn't like, hey, I wonder what the new Black Diamond set is like. I was just like, you know, had other interests. I mean, everybody kind of goes through this. I mean, I even. Um, I've talked about this before, like the five stages of card collecting, right? And there's that stage where you take a break. And uh, and although now I don't think this is going to apply to anybody under, you know, 20 because, you know, you have kids who are never going to start collecting cards to begin with. Um, although I will say that we did talk to one young man uh, who was 15 years old who uh, he he dropped into the puck junk booth at the virtual expo. He talked for you know, a while, he was very bright guy, you know, you want to say young man, but I mean, he's just, you know, yeah, young man, young fellow, but very sharp. He does case breaks, which is for a 15 year old is very, uh, uh 15 or 16. Oh, whatever. either way. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was a youngin. He was a youngin, but he was doing case breaks. And I was just like, Oh, that's, that's really, um, industrious of you, you know, cause there's, you know, you got to put up a little bit of money, but he had it all figured out you know, how to make it worth his while. And I thought back of the time when I was like 16 and I was running a neighborhood card show. You know what I mean? It's like the people who 
like the hobby are going to be drawn to the hobby and they're going to figure out a way to engage in the hobby um, as, you know, as not just um, a consumer, but as a participant in some way. And I think that's the thing is that like, maybe I know we had a, we had an episode way back when called the problem with case breaks and yeah, there are problems with case breaks, but at the same time, that seems to be the thing that's like capturing the minds of like, the younger generations. In fact, I will also say this. When I went um, to the National in Chicago back in 2019, and I helped organize the hockey trade night, um, a lot of people trading stuff, it was all new stuff. In fact, it was funny. I thought I was going to impress people with, like, my extra cards from, like, the 70s and 80s. Like, you know, good cards, like rookie cards or second-year cards of, like, superstar players right nobody was interested it was like oh well, i have a second year patrick Wah tops card that's probably like a 20 dollar card nobody was interested nobody wanted to trade for it they somebody was just like oh well if it was graded i'd sure sure i'd buy it you know but like yeah that's you know, the thing anything prior to i think anything prior to the 90s that's not graded is it's 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 shunned it seems like which is too bad because, I mean, I had like, like I said, I had some good rookie cards that nobody was really interested in, be, in trading for because they weren't graded. You know, it was kind of like, well, what do you have that's current? Like somebody traded. I had a um, Eric Carlson patch card um, from a high end set and I didn't it want it. Now, it wasn't a cup card. But um, he was in a Sens uniform, and to me, now that he's with the Sharks, I don't really care. I mean, I wasn't really a collector of his to begin with. So I had it out there, and somebody was like, oh, my God, I want this card. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Um, just make an offer. Like, what, you know, what do you think is fair for it? You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, like, enamored with the card. But, um, and I, I traded it for, like, I traded it for a... Patrick Nolan young gun and one other card. And I can't remember what the other card was, but the guy was Patrick. Isn't that his name? Nolan Who, Patrick. Who's the guy that the, the, the flyers drafted yeah, Nolan Patrick. Yeah. It's Nolan Patrick. And then there you was another Patrick. You said Patrick Nolan. It threw me oh. off. I was like, who? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, it's funny, like, you had a, a player named Owen Nolan, but sometimes somebody would call him Nolan. Yeah, Nolan, which... I was going to say, are you saying Owen Nolan or Patrick Marlowe? What are you saying? <laughs> it was... <laughs> Nolan Patrick, yes. Nolan Got Patrick's. It. Sorry, not Patrick Nolan. I don't know where that came from. So, Nolan... Carlson, Patch Auto. For... No, it wasn't an auto. It was oh, just a patch. Just a patch. So, just a patch Carlson card. Patch for a Nolan Patrick, and what was the Nolan Patrick? It was a young gun. Oh, just a regular young gun? Not yes. like exclusive or and then, and, then, and then another card, but I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what it was, but the the kid who traded it to me was a young man, like under 20, maybe 16 or 17. Uh, he was just like, no, take this card. I insist. I'm like, all right, whatever. Because, you know, I'm not out to get blood on these cards. I just... If I don't want it, I don't want it. Okay. Right. You tell me it's a $30 card. Cool. You tell me it's a $20 card. Okay. I mean, I know what a 
a hundred card, hundred dollar card is or two. Like I know what like super high end is, you know. So I'm not going to be trading any cup, you know, patch auto, serial numbered cards for you know a young gun. I mean, unless it's like a really high end player like a Sidney Crosby, you know. I get that, but like most of the stuff to me, it's like hmm, whatever, you know. It's just like. But uh, yeah, nobody was really into my '80s cards, and I was, I was a little sad. '80s, well, or, no, nobody wanted my Grant, my extra Grant Fear rookie card. Nobody wanted my Ron Hextall rookie cards. Nobody wanted my um, Luke Robitaille rookie cards, or or my, um, you know, other other various cards that I had, you know, from the mid '70s to like the late '80s. It's interesting you bring that up because that was part of our discussion that we had at the expo. Um, and you were talking about, you know, Ben there for a second. I think he was involved in that conversation was you have the younger generation, what few of them are left. And he talked about how most of his friends have already stopped collecting. And he's one of the last ones out of the whole group that still mm-hmm. you know, still does it. And, you know, I think we, we had that whole discussion about how us – old guys air quotes that have been in the business for so long and been collecting for so long, you know, all the guys that we grew up watching, you know, play the game that we love to watch in the eighties, you know, late seventies, eighties, nineties that are in the hall of fame now, like none of their rookie cards are really worth that much in the grand scheme of things. I mean, cause they were all made during this, this mass produced overproduction era where, you know, cards were double printed and triple printed mm-hmm. and, you know, it, there's there's no scarcity to it. And you got guys that are just coming out like your your, your Kale McCars and your Capo Cacos and your, you know, you said Nolan Patrick, you know, your, your Kirby Docs and guys like this that their rookie cards right out of the box, their base young gun cards are 30, 40 bucks instantly. And then they go out and hit the ice, do pretty good, and some of them jack up to 100 200 bucks mm-hmm. right out of the box. And I'm looking at that going, 200 bucks. I could get a Mario Lemieux Tops rookie for about 90 Right. So, and it's like, I would much rather have that in my collection than, you know, spend $200 on a base young gun. I mean, that's just, yeah. That's just me, but that's kind of the, that's, that's the shift. You know, it's that... You know, I think I think of it as a as just like a a wheel that's turning and it's mm-hmm. that shift and it's turning over on itself and eventually it's going to tip over and mm-hmm. it'll flip back to the top again. Mm-hmm. And what's old will be new again and we'll all be, you know, going on our merry way. But so I just need to wait it out, is what you're saying. Yeah, and and we had the discussion about the, hockey collectors gen, tend to be loyal and. You know, that's I think that's why the hockey market has mostly been immune to this this huge bubble that the hobby has created overall with basketball and baseball and all of these new releases that come out. And, you know, everybody's quarantined. And now that we can go out and shop at a store, you can't buy cards on our retail shelf because everybody goes because they see they can buy a $20 blaster and sell it for 60. So they're just attacking and buying everything off the shelves and nobody can find cards. Except hockey cards. If you go to most of the Targets and Walmarts, everything's wiped out. But every picture you see on Twitter, 
There's no Bowman. There's no Mosaic. There's none of that. But if you look down in the corner, in most of the pictures, you'll see a box of Allure, or you'll see a box of Series 2, or you'll see a box of MVP, or you'll see a box of, you know, the new Upper Deck SP retail. You'll you'll see it mixed under the shelf with the Pokemon cards on near the bottom. But none of the other stuff that people want. And that's because hockey tends to maintain that. And sure, it, it hits its spikes with certain guys here and there. And we started seeing that last year with various performances of players. And immediately their cards would spike, but they tapered off. So it hasn't been a, a big sustained thing. But but yeah, I mean, you're right. Wait, wait it out and we might be back to normal. You never know. I'll be able to sell my my 60, 67, no, 68 copies. Yeah, because I got rid of one just so I could have 68. 68 copies of my 1990 score Yarmir Yager rookie. Only 68 copies? Yes. Well, obviously for a reason. So. Is it because he's 68 years old now? Yes, that's exactly right. Right, yeah. No, I couldn't limit myself to just 27 copies of Ronix rookie card. Maybe I should have limited it to 97, which was the number that he wore with the Sharks. Or not the Sharks, um, the uh, 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 Flyers and the Kings. And well, I'm heading, the, um, I'm heading down that new path with the uh, 91 uh, Parkhurst uh, Bill Guerin XRC. Mm-hmm. I'm starting, I, I feel like I'm starting to hoard those. Yeah, you know, save some for the rest of us. Though so that was a short printed set. It was. I mean, that whole set, that those last what twenty five cards will cost you like thirty dollars. Yeah, because it was a, it. it was a mail away. Yeah, and I don't think most people mailed away. No. So. I didn't even know about it. Yeah, and those that did, it came as a complete set. So in order to get singles, you would have had to break the set up. Right, so when I find a set missing one card, I'll know who's responsible for that. Yeah, every time I see him, I grab him. So I've buy got... a set, take out the one card, yeah. put it back. I the... actually don't have the whole set. I don't have that update set. I just have that card and maybe a couple others. Yeah, I mean, I remember like speaking of update sets. This is changing the subject and changing the sport. But I remember like a dealer had an '89 tops traded set. And he said, it's missing one card, the Ked Griffey Jr. rookie card. So I only only want a dollar for it. And I said, sold. And I I bought it, and I pulled out all the White Sox, and I pulled out all the Cubs, because I had complete team sets of uh, 89 Tops Cubs and 89 Tops White Sox. I even had them in like a booklet, um, because I collected a lot of baseball that year. So it was cool to get the traded guys to put in that set, and then... um, and you know to to put in that set and then have like the full team set like so to me that was cool that was for a buck that was worth it and i think it also had a deon sanders uh baseball rookie card and i pulled that out and i think it had um uh randy johnson yeah yeah so like it it like so like oh well some pretty good rookie cards in here too that i'll just set aside just cuz they're cool you know i mean they're not really worth a lot but you know um yeah years ago at the national that happened to my youngest son too we were walking by a table and he's like dad look here's a whole set just sitting here and it was just in a random box it was the 89 upper deck baseball set and 
and he's like, how much does it cost? And I said, well, why don't you ask a lady? And so the lady took one look at him. She's like, you can have it. It's free. And he's eyes lit up. He's like, it's really free? She's like, yeah, just take it. It's free. No problem. And I look, took one look at her. I said, Griffey's not in there, is he? She's like, nope. <laughs> so he took this set and he was happy, but there's one card missing out of that box. And that's why when your boy counts to 900, he starts at two, three, four, five, because there's no card number one. You know, one fun thing about that upper deck hockey, or uh, excuse me, one fun thing about that upper deck baseball set, and I'm going off a a topic here. I love those those hologram, the the logo holograms. Oh, the team holograms, yeah. Oh, my God. They just, they look so flipping cool. But... So I told you about I used to I used to promote a show in the 90s and it was in the basement of a local church and my friend Steve used to help me when I'd run the show like my mom would drop off me and Steve and all my stuff at the show and pick us up in like five hours and um, he would take those baseball holograms and he would run around like either he'd sneak up to the church upstairs or he would just find a place and he would stick these stickers like every time we do a show because the show would happen every month he would put the sticker somewhere and then a month later he would check to see if it was still there and then he'd put up another sticker somewhere and then the next month he would check to see if both stickers were still there you know where wherever he put this one and that one so he'd always run around like you know and, and see if like the, the, the Expos logo that he stuck under the altar, if it was still under the altar, or if somebody noticed it and removed it, which I think, it, looking back, I think is hilarious. I used to do that in the early 2000s. I had a sticker for a band and um, that I, I printed out. I made them myself, and I printed uh-huh. them out. And everywhere we would go, like different bars or whatever, I would... I'd find a place somewhere and put it like under the bar or under a bar stool or on the wall or in the bathroom. And then just over time, you go back there and try to see if it's still in this spot and stuff like that. Was so. this for your band? Yes. Okay. So let me give you a little bit of marketing advice. When you are promoting your band, you want people to be able to see the, the, the promotional, the, the, the you want people to see the logo. If you put it on their bar stool, they're not going to see it. Uh, I was I wasn't trying to promote anything. I was just I thought I was being funny. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I get it. No, I mean you got. It wasn't speak. any of my current band music projects. It was it was one that predates that. Yeah, back when you can get away with sticker bombing. Yes. I mean, you still can a little bit, but. Uh, now it's called graffiti. I think graffiti. Yeah. Literally. I thought it would have been fun to do that with the uh, the fathead tradables, but those didn't really catch on. There were fathead tradables. Um, you know what a fathead is, obviously, right? Yeah, they, they made those mini ones. Right. They they called them tradables. That yeah. was their name for it. So I just thought it would have been hilarious to just put put them around, you know, put them on places. Like I want to put a goalie on a stop sign because that would be funny. You know, I'd want to put. I'd want to put a penguin in a urinal because that would be funny. I, you know, like I had all this ideas. Hey, why like, would that be funny? Be hilarious, man. A penguin in a urinal? You know, I wouldn't do that to one of my Blackhawks, but I don't know. Uh, I just, I was just thinking like this would have been funny to do, like to just put them in like 
like to sticker bomb because they peel off real easy. So it's not like they would damage anything, right? If I was putting them on one-way signs and on mailboxes and stuff like that. But, um... Fortunately, weren't they like 20 bucks for like a pack? They were expensive. I want to say they were like $9.99 for like a pack of six. Yeah. Or a pack of five. I thought they were a lot. And no, I found some at, um, it was either Target or Walmart. And they were marked down to 99 cents a pack, but they only had two packs left. And I bought them both. And I'm like, these are really cool. I want to buy more. And then I couldn't find them for that price ever again. So for a dollar a pack, yeah, I would totally be um, running around and putting them in funky places. But for $10 a pack, I'm just, I'm not that ambitious. Then, then, then I see it as a waste of money and not as like fun. Yeah. Oh, just thought of something. Not to yeah. go off on tangents, but one thing did come out of the uh, um, the expo that, that I forgot to bring up. Do tell. I now have an Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you share the Instagram account? Because uh... everybody was talking about Instagram and Instagram this and Instagram that because, you know, of course you get the younger people and they're like, we're not on Facebook because all our parents are on Facebook. So Facebook's not cool anymore. So uh, everybody's on, what do they call it? The gram. Everybody's on the gram now. So I decided to uh, get my own Instagram and join the hype. And the funny part is apparently I already had one, which I didn't know I did. So apparently I set one up a long time ago and just forgot about it and moved on with my life. So... So yes, I'm now on Instagram. If anybody cares, it's uh, the real DFG sixty six. So the real DFG sixty six. Yes, because apparently the real DFG was already taken, not by me. Really? I guess so. Wow. Which I I hope it was taken by Rick Steiner because that's the only person that should take that. Right. So, but anyway, so yeah, so I'm now on Instagram. The real DFG sixty six. I'm also on Instagram at Puck Junk. So yeah. Yes. So I don't know what all the hype is. It seems like it's just Facebook but with pictures. But well, I don't know. My only problem with Instagram, I like the fact that I could take the picture and put it online right away, but it's like just typing on my phone is such a pain, right? So like I I almost want to use Instagram on my computer, but you can't. Because then it'd be like, oh, here's a cool picture I want to share, and I want to type a little bit about this picture, but no, you can't do it on your computer like that, which oh, I understand. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to do it all. Like, you can you can view Instagram on your computer, and you can like pictures, but you can't, like, post to Instagram on your computer. Gotcha. So it's like, if it's a picture that you already have, you either have to transfer to your phone, or you need to take another picture. So that's, you know, why I don't like share, you know, I have, you know, thousands of hockey images on my hard drive of like scanned cards, collection pictures, things like that. Um, you know, that I'd want to share one a day, but it's like, nope, got to do it from my phone unless there's something I'm missing here. But really, I mean, they make it, they, they try to do that so that you limit how people, how much people can put out there. Because what happens is, is when you make it too easy, you get flooded and you get flooded by people who are spamming 
and marketing, I mean, it's hard to pay a spammer. Here's a phone. I'm going to pay you to spam Instagram for the next eight hours, right? On this phone. It's not very efficient, right? Like the thing that killed Etsy, that um, website for people that sell handmade art is um, it's, it's got to the point. I mean, it's easy to use. It's a website. So now you have a lot of people on China in China who just post things on Etsy. So for like, for instance, like my ex-girlfriend would paint, she was a painter. So she would try to sell a painting on Etsy and she'd want a modest amount for it, maybe $30 or something. Cause it's something that she put time into or $40 or $50. Right. And you'd have somebody in China where they would just have factories of people doing landscape paintings. And then because of the exchange rate, they'd sell it, you know, to you for $9.99 free shipping or whatever, right? Obviously, you're going to buy what's cheap, right? Or you hand-knit a sweater, you put it on Etsy, then you have a Chinese factory producing thousands of them, and they're going to put it on there for $2.99, right? So Etsy just got overrun with Chinese sellers, Right. And that was part of the, you know, because they made it too easy. Right. So with Instagram, if you made it easy for people to, hey, I'm going to show a bunch of images of products that I'm selling. Well, you know, if you have a marketing person and that's your job to take the pictures and do it, that's fine. But it, it becomes like prohibitive for a spammer, like not impossible, but just not easy. Yeah. Well, that was a long rant. I hope you guys learned something from that. This is my my teacher side showing, like when I explain why things are a certain way. I don't know. I just I find that fascinating, so I just love to share that bit of info so other people hopefully also find it fascinating, or at least now they know. The only thing people ever learn from our show is that we can't stay on topic and go all over the place. <laughs> right. So I think we need to I think we need to put a fork in this one because um, it's done. Sounds good We've to me. Said everything we could about this 180 card set that I do not own. Well, if you don't get any cards out of this set and and you're not looking to chase down the Thornton or the Marlowe, if you only get one card, may I recommend the Peter Schaefer card? Why so Peter that, Schaefer? Funny that um, you mentioned Peter Schaefer. Well, if you look at the card, you'll know why. Okay. Now that's I all have I, that's all I have to say. Now I have to go look it up. All right. Just, just so, think of think of the uh, early Bia player sets. The Daniel Kachuk card is is pretty good too. All right. Well, that said, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you like this show, please like and subscribe. We're available on iTunes. We're available on iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, and anywhere else where you find podcasts. If you like the show, also. Feel free to tell a friend or family, pass it on. And if you want to support the show, you can buy a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.